And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to continue our summer series on life lessons on following Jesus as Lord. And we get started here. You probably noticed there's a lot of folks with their FX Camp shirts. If you were a camper or a leader volunteer for our FX Camp a week ago, would you just stand? We'd like to see who you all are. Okay. Come on. There you go. All right. Hey. Yes. Okay. And I want you to know, like, this is, you guys can have a seat, unless you want to stand all message, you can do that too. Okay, but this was like super high intensity, and hopefully you wash that shirt before you put it on this morning, otherwise that explains why people are like, giving you a little space here, okay? I mean, it is high energy, high intensity, lots of love, and I, I'll tell you, just some amazing ways that our leaders just pour into these kids and share the life-changing reality of how to really know Jesus. At the end of the first day, there is a a lady in our church who brings her granddaughter to church. This granddaughter brought a friend who I was told has no church background, um, doesn't really know anything about God. And so I met her on the first day. And so the three of us were right there in the foyer. And I asked her, I said, hey, so what did you learn today? And this girl's about like third or fourth grade. And she gave me some funny answer about like how noisy and crazy everything is. But then she like looked at me and she goes, you know what I really learned? I learned that God made everything and then he made me. And I told her, you have learned something very important today. I want you to know it is a privilege to be a part of Fellowship Bible Church. I mean, you guys are awesome. How you just pour out in the lives of people so that they will really know God and what it really means to follow Jesus. And I want you to know learning how to follow is a really important life skill. So for instance, I noticed that with our little kids, so, so, so if you were a volunteer or leader and you have like little ones like preschool, uh, we had our own little like VBS for them. And what happened is the little children they have, here's a picture of it, they have this glow-in-the-dark uh, walking rope and it's multicolored. And so when the kids were with the crowds, uh, these little ones, you would see their leaders and they were all with that little rope and they would just kind of weave in and out. We never lost a single one and they're all holding on and having a blast. And, and I, that's a really important life skill there. When you get bigger, guess what? We don't have to have the walking rope that glows in the dark. We can just put up a sign like this one here for music camp, right? And what happens is that the kids just, just kind of follow. I want you to know that Following is a really important life skill, whether you're 7 or 70. It's true at the job, at school, you're on a tour, you need to know how to follow. And we understand that, but how do you follow Jesus in this life? I mean, there's no walking rope that's multicolored, you just grab on, right? No sign, this is what you to do next. Uh, How is it that we follow Jesus in this life? I want you to know that's one of the most important questions that could ever be asked and most certainly must be answered. And if you're interested and you really want to know, like, I would like to follow Jesus, but I I can't see him. I mean, he's, he's resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. How do you follow Jesus in this life? Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it gives us the answer. We find three essential traits of those who are following Jesus in this life. And the first one we're going to see is that you have to have clarity as to who Jesus is. So let's just jump jump right in. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So 
here we have Jesus. He's back up in the northern part of the kingdom uh, at the Sea of Galilee, okay? Uh, it's, it's called the Sea of Gennesaret or the Lake of Gennesaret, also the Lake of Tiberias, but you know it as the Sea of Galilee. Really interesting. The Sea of Galilee, oh, we're losing here. Can you guys hear me? The Sea of Galilee, are we on? Okay, all right. The Sea of Galilee uh, is the lowest fresh body, fresh body of water in the world at 690 feet uh, below sea level. And it was at this sea where all these fishermen, and there were estimated about 16 different ports, hundreds of fishermen would be fishing. Fish was the primary meat eaten by the people in this region. And so fishermen had an important job, and it really was feeding uh, everybody in the northern part of the nation. And so we see that Jesus, when he's up north in the, at the Sea of Galilee, literally thousands of people would flock to hear him. Josephus, a Jewish historian about that time, estimates that there were about three million people that lived in the Sea of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And so when Jesus shows up and his reputation as one who could do miracles and his words, why, they were astounding. He seemed to understand the kingdom of God and what it means to really know him. And so the word got out, and people were flocking to hear him, and that's exactly what you see here. You know, if you are going to really follow Jesus in this life, you need clarity as to who he is. And let me tell you how you gain that clarity. By listening to his word. And that's what they're doing. They're listening to the word of God. Now, when we use that phrase, the word of God, uh, we're oftentimes referring to the whole Bible. But in this case... When they were listening to the word of God, they were listening to the words of Jesus. Jesus is God. Every time he spoke, why, it's the word of God because of who he really is. And so these crowds are listening to the word of God. And notice uh, what's taking place here. Uh, he's, as he's teaching, they're learning about who he is. And you're like, well, what exactly would Jesus be teaching? as he's teaching the word of God. Well, just jump up to chapter 4, verse 43. Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. He was teaching about the kingdom of God, the reign and ruling of God himself, starting in the hearts of those who are part of his kingdom, those who know him and trust him, but also his reign and rule in the world. And so we saw this, remember last week? You're like, well, what, what did that look like? What, what was Jesus talking about, like in incidents like this? Well, remember we saw last week when he was in his hometown in Nazareth, chapter 4, verse 18? These are the sort of things that Jesus was speaking about, the kingdom of God. Like, he'd say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What Jesus was speaking was about those who are oppressed, who are weighed down spiritually, that are blind spiritually. This life has wiped you out. Your sin has devastated you. Jesus said, like in verse 21, I'm it. I am the fulfillment of all that Isaiah wrote about 700 years prior to when Jesus uh, has his earthly ministry. He says, I'm it. I am the promised Messiah. The promises of the scriptures are fulfilled in me. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so Jesus is teaching. And when they listen to him, 
why they were learning who he really is. And so we see here, uh, he's teaching, and Lotus, verse 2, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. And so this was pretty typical. Uh, how it worked on the Sea of Galilee is that you would fish at night, and that is because it's cooler at night, and so the fish had a tendency to come closer to the surface, right? And so if they're closer to the surface, then you could catch them a lot easier. And so these fishermen, uh, they would be in boats about the size, about 20 feet long. They would have nets that were about 100 feet uh, long, and then it was kind of func- functioned like a semicircle. And when they'd throw these nets out, and then they would pull them in, and they would collect the fish, okay? And they would do this all night long, and, and that's how it worked. So when the morning came, then you would come to shore, and you have all your fish, and you'd sort them out, and then they would repair their nets, and they're, like it says, verse 2, they were cleaning their nets. Anything that wasn't fish would be taken out, the nets would be dried, put back in the boat, and we'd do this again at night, okay? That was the life of a fisherman. And so we see that... Uh, They're at the edge of the lake. There's two boats, and the fishermen were out. They're washing their nets. But notice this, verse 3. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Okay, now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered Simon. And never get the idea that whatever Jesus does, it's kind of just random. It's always intentional. He knows what boat he's going to get into. He gets into Simon's boat. And this isn't the first time that Simon had uh, engaged, or you know Simon as Peter, had engaged Jesus. In fact, we read in John chapter 1, do you remember when John the Baptist was preaching uh, just kind of the outside of Bethany, right along the Jordan River? And John the Baptist makes this statement, behold, the Lamb of God, and he points to Jesus. And with him on that day was Simon Peter's brother, Andrew. And so Andrew goes and he hangs out with Jesus for a day, and he's just absolutely astounded by this man's wisdom and and just his sheer presence. And so he goes and he finds his brother, Simon Peter. In fact, that's where Simon gets his name, Peter, from Jesus, from this initial encounter that takes place in the southern part of the kingdom along the Jordan River, uh, kind of on the outskirts of Bethany. And so it says that they went north, whether they traveled with Jesus and went back up to Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee, or they went ahead. These fishermen went back, and they're just engaging their business. They, they had learned about Jesus. They had spent time with him, but they're commercial fishermen. And they're probably pretty well off compared to most of the folks that are basically kind of a day-to-day existence, function as laborers. If you're running a fishing operation, you're probably more than just a small business owner. You, you probably command a pretty decent uh, salary. We know that Peter had a home in Capernaum. And there was also another incident that took place. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law took real ill. Do you remember that? And Jesus came to the home. So Peter has a nice home in Capernaum. And Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so all of these things had taken place. There had been lots of interactions. And so we see Jesus getting into the boat of Simon Peter. Now, uh, it had been a hard day on the water for Simon Peter because, as we're going to find out, that he and his guys caught no fish that entire night. 
So their boat is completely empty, and he's pulling around with the nets. All they did was basically uh, kind of like just like a sieve. They were straining water all night. And Jesus gets into Simon Peter's boat, and you see that right there. Uh, and uh, you see verse 3. And not only does he get into the boat, but he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So Simon Peter, uh, likely there's going to be a few others, these 20-foot boat, boats, they probably uh, had uh, three to four people always traveling in those boats. So there's likely about four of them in there. And so they go out a little bit away. And, and what would happen is all the people sitting on the shore, this is, functions like an amphitheater. And speaking, the water has like, like an acoustical treatment. And so there's an acoustical effect where you can speak where lots of people can hear you when you pull out a little away on the water like that. And so that's what Jesus is doing. And another thing that's taking place, though, is that um, Simon Peter now is kind of like what we call a captive audience, right? Jesus says, hey, let's go out a little bit ways. And so Simon's like out there, okay, and they kind of turn around, and Jesus sits down, he starts teaching. And Simon is taking in all of these words. He's literally hearing the word of God, and that's actually where faith comes from. And that's how we gain clarity as to who Jesus is, by, by listening to his word. But there's another way that we gain clarity of who Jesus is, and that is by looking at his works. So here this is all going on here. Jesus is in the boat, and then verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, how about we do this? Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Well, I want you to know that fishermen are all about catching fish. Like, like today, if you've ever been out with some of our fishermen, like, they've got like all this sonar equipment. They can tell you like where all the fish are, what depth they are. I mean, it's pretty sophisticated. And yet, I've had this experience. We can see them in the water. We are actually fishing in the area and you still can catch no fish, right? And so, uh, here's the situation here where, where Jesus says, listen, I want you to go to the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay? So Simon's like, oh my, okay? This is bad. Okay, we not only got skunked last night, but you happen to be speaking, and thousands of people came, and they, wa- they saw just how good we were at fishing. All we were doing was like pulling like seaweed and, and stuff out of our, our nets. Uh, nothing, no fish. And now you are asking where everybody can hear. And furthermore, you know, like some of our other buddies, okay? There's other fishermen along the shore. We don't know if they caught nothing or not, but they're all watching this. And they know that you don't go fishing in the middle of the day. Why? Because it's getting warmer. And so where do the fish go? Like, but there's a little warm up here. And they go down to the bottom of the sea, right? Down the bottom of the lake of Gennesaret. And you're not going to catch them with your little 100-foot net. And it's, and it's heavy and it's a lot of work. And this is going to be an exercise in futility. And Peter knows it. You know, not catching fish, that was actually part of Jesus' plan. When things aren't working out the way you think they should, or where they are even supposed to work out, I want you to know that God may very well be ready to accomplish a significant work for you to see his greatness, to face your own uh, depletion, and to realize his all-sufficiency. 
what Jesus is asking is basically like the equivalent of like us coming to like Steph Curry, NBA basketball star, and say, hey, listen, tell you what, I'm not really good at basketball. In fact, I'm pretty terrible. I got cut, didn't even make the high school team. But you know what? If you just do what I say, I'll tell you what, you're going to win a national championship. Can you imagine like Steph Curry like looking like, you serious? You're going to tell me how I'm going to win an NBA championship and you, you barely can dribble the ball down the court. Yeah. Are you interested? What do you think Steph Curry would say? Like, <laughs> next, we're done, right? That's probably what we say. Uh, yesterday, I was talking with Alton Jones, our pro bass fisherman. And I told him, hey, I'm, I'm going to be preaching League 5 tomorrow. It's about fishing. Hey, and we, we talked about this. He gave me this quote when I was talking about this situation. He said, from a professional fisherman's perspective... The last thing you want is someone telling you how and when to catch fish, okay? You don't want to hear it, right? You, you don't know. You're not the pro, right? That's our job. We'll catch the fish. You don't want someone like, hey, you're, not, you're doing it all wrong. You got the wrong lure. You're in the wrong spot. You know, we don't want to hear it. I want you to know that's where Peter's at. Here's Peter, and he's like, okay, Jesus, the Jewish carpenter, you're an amazing speaker. And he has to mind you, but this, remember, this is no mere carpenter. This, this Jesus, he healed my mother-in-law. He's, he's got powers unheard of. But then, of course, all of his friends, all the other fishermen, they're all watching this. And this huge crowd, they're watching. This is going to be like an absolute lesson in total humility as he makes a fool of himself, taking those heavy nets and trying to catch fish in the water when that's clearly there's no fish to be found. They spent the whole night proving that, right? And so look at this scene. Verse 5. This is such a critical verse. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. And when they say work hard, like you've got to be a man to be a fisherman. Those nets are really heavy. And you do that all night, you're going to be wiped out. We worked hard all night and we caught nothing. Nothing, but I will do as you say, and I'll let down the nets. This doesn't make sense to me. There are about 34 reasons why this is a really bad idea. Everything my experience tells me that this makes no sense, this should not take place. All these people are watching. All those fishermen know that you are basically asking me to make a total fool of myself. But I want you to know, see, Jesus just doesn't want his words heard. He wants them heeded. Oh, yeah, a lot of people know, I know the Bible verse, I know those Bible stories. I, I want you to know that's good. But he wants us to obey him, to heed him. And so he lays it all on the line. Peter, yeah, I know you got skunked last night, but I want you to go out there and you cast those nets. Cast them out for a catch. I want you to put those nets down there. So Peter's really thinking this over, and he said, Master, I'm gonna, I'll do what you say. So they do. Look at verse 6, though. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So can't you see them? They just throw that net out there. It starts sinking. All of a sudden, whoosh, it just surges because there's just all these fish there and they're, they're like trying to pull this in here. It is like, whoa, what is going on? Have we hooked some sort of like beast or something down there, like some sort of sea monster? What is happening here? So look at verse 7. 
Their nets are beginning to break. So seven, they signaled to their partners and the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats. So they began to sink. I want you to know nothing like this had ever happened. Most assuredly, nothing even remotely close in the middle of the day. And here are all these fish, and they're trying to bring them into the boats, okay? So there's at least eight men, and they're loading up their boats, and the boats begin to sink. I mean, that, we're talking a lot of fish. And they're, they're overwhelmed by this scene. So overwhelmed, and we get a picture of this. Look at this. As the boats are sinking, can't you see it? Fish everywhere, right? The boats are going down. And look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Twice he refers to him as Lord. It's the Old Testament statement for God. Go away from me, O Lord God Almighty. I'm a sinful man. I, I see you for who you are. For you see it, look in verse 9. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So the whole fishing co-op here, they're seeing this and they're amazed. I want you to know that seeing the works of Jesus gives us so much clarity as to who he is. He is the absolute Lord over all. And this is an amazing miracle. This miracle shows us that Jesus is omniscient. He actually knows where all the fish are. So if you're into fishing, having Jesus in the boat and he knows where all the fish is, that's a really good idea, right? He demonstrates his omniscience, but he also demonstrates his omnipotence, that he is absolutely all-powerful to have all of these fish in that net and overwhelming these boats, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to have clarity as to who he is. He is the absolute Lord God Almighty, the eternal Son of God. Let me, let me show you something else from this text. If you really want to follow Jesus, not only do you have to have clarity as to who he is, but you have to have conviction of, over your own sinfulness. Did you see that in verse 8? When Simon Peter lets this take in, like he's seeing Jesus right there in the boat. The fish are everywhere. Notice how he responds, verse 8. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am what? A sinful man. Peter begins to see his own unworthiness and the presence of God's holiness. He sees that indeed who he really is. You know, like a lot of us are like, that is so cool that Peter got all these fish and like Jesus made that happen. And now that's a really good thing. Don't get me wrong. But by far the much greater gift is for Peter to see who he really is. And that's what you find when you encounter the living God, Jesus Christ himself, why you see your own sinfulness. Like we saw last week in, John, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, that we're the ones who are poor and imprisoned and blind and oppressed. This idea that, well, Jesus is just going to be my boyfriend or I'm just going to just have Jesus as a part of my plan and when I'm in need, I'm just going to call out to him and I'm going to have Jesus kind of fit into my life and that is going to be so nice. 
I want you to know that just having some jump up and down kind of excitement about Jesus, that's likely not that you've really encountered him. Because when you really encounter Jesus, you sense your own unworthiness, your sinfulness. And it is by us seeing who we really are that we're drawn to him as the Savior. And that's what's happening here with Peter. By the way, this experience with Peter and these other guys, why, it's what you see like in the book of Job, at the end of Job when God reveals himself to Job. Job just becomes unraveled, right? Or in Isaiah. Isaiah's a prophet, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, remember, he gets this vision of God and he sees him and he says, and, and it's like, holy, holy, holy. And then it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah the prophet said this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies. That's what it looks like to encounter the living God. A brokenness, a humility, down on your knees, maybe on your face. I am a sinful man. My life has missed the mark. That's what the word sin means. And we all, we all have this flesh, this yearning to be in rebellion to God, to live life apart from him. Jesus said it's from the heart. That's where all these evil thoughts and all the murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and slanders and all of that, you know where that comes from? It comes from within. We are sinful people. Please don't just get the idea that we're just fine and we'll do whatever we want. Clearly, on a daily basis, we show that we are not. And it is Jesus who brings us to an awareness of our own unworthiness, our sinfulness, which then in return draws us to him who is the Savior, the one who is the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of a Messiah and who will go to the cross and pay the full penalty of our sin which is death itself. And I want you to know the deeds of the flesh are evident, like it says in Galatians 5.19, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, as he says, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, they will not enter into the kingdom of God. That list sound familiar? Don't you see the sinfulness in your life? Why, well, if you do, I want you to know that that's the Lord's work. And it draws us to him. And we are overwhelmed by his love for us and how lovely he is. The eternal son of God, who is our savior. This is the gospel. This is why twice in that verse he says, Oh, Lord. You want to follow Jesus in this life? You're going to have to have clarity as to who he is. You're also going to need a conviction over your sinfulness. You will always find it with those who are following Jesus. And there's one other thing that we need to see from this text. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need a commitment to walk in his way. Verse 10, we see that there were James and John, sons of Zebedee, and they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear from now on, you will be catching men. There is a commitment to walk in his way. 
And notice what Jesus said in verse 10. You have to learn to not be overwhelmed by your fear. That's why Jesus says, do not be afraid. I mean, fear will paralyze you. Faith, on the other hand, allows you to move forward. And we are pretty fearful. Some of us, amazingly so. We're fearful of the unknowns, fearful of the reactions of people, fearful of failure, fear of like, what will happen to me financially? Fear, what are others going to think about this? And there's some folks that are just like, we're, you're literally paralyzed by fear. You're just kind of stuck in your seat, belted in by fear. And so Jesus addresses that. I want you to walk in my ways. I, I'm going to do my work through you. We're going to be catching men. So do not be afraid. I think of that on a regular basis. I don't need to be fearful. You know why? I'm trusting Jesus. We have a commitment to walk in his ways. That means that we are learning not to be overwhelmed by fear. And notice what else in verse 10. We're learning to focus on his kingdom priority of making disciples. Did he see, you see what he said? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus turns the miracle into a metaphor for his mission. Peter, I know you're pretty good at catching fish. You weren't last night so much, not so much, but I know that uh, you've made a living on this and a good one. But from now on, you are going to be catching men. In fact, I'm going to do my work through you. I am going to do something that you have never, ever thought possible, where the living God will do his work through you. And of course, when you look at Peter's life, I mean, this gets started pretty early on. Remember, remember after Jesus is resurrected from the day, grave, 50 days later, uh, Jesus ascends into heaven and there's the Feast of Pentecost and all the Jewish people are in Jerusalem and they're at the temple. And guess what? Peter speaks. And this time, under the power of the Holy Spirit, this, he speaks with boldness. And he proclaims that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament. And you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And it's said that 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized. That is a sign that you actually believe because you're willing to be baptized. And so that actually happened. And you remember, not too long afterward, uh, they had a, they were, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, they were reigned at Peter. And um, it said at that time, now there were about 5,000 believers in Jerusalem. And God was doing exactly what Jesus said. From now on, you'll be catching men. And it just didn't end there. Why, we see in Peter's life that he was engaging the lost with the gospel. He was making disciples. It was Peter who was shepherding sheep. And remember, he even writes about his experiences in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, and I'm a fellow elder. I lead with eagerness, and I lead by example. All of this is this fulfillment of catching men. And it's an ongoing process. It's a catching is a present tense. This is a way of life. It is making disciples. This is what we're going to do. And I want you to know that um, making disciples is what Jesus has called us to do, to catch men. And what is the definition of making disciples? Discipleship is this, is the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. And so that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. And you know, another thing about Jesus is that he actually capitalizes on experiences that he gives us. 
We see this like with Moses. Moses learned how to herd uh, sheep in a desert. And then God took him with the people of Israel. And then we got to do it with people instead of sheep this time, right? And then remember uh, David, both a shepherd and a warrior. Or Joseph, remember all the administration he learned as a slave? God used him in very significant ways in the Egyptian empire. And so God is going to use Peter's experiences. You know, fishermen, they have some traits. Uh, They know how to work together. Fishermen do not give up easily. If you're one that's just kind of a fair-weathered friend and you give up really easily, you're going to be a terrible fisherman. So try something else, right? Uh, Fishermen have courage and they labor diligently, all of which are going to be greatly needed in Peter's life. And there's something else, this idea of this commitment to walk in the way of Jesus, that is learning to walk by faith as you follow Christ. So how does Peter respond? Well, we find it right here in verse 11. After Jesus makes this statement, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the statement of one who is a permanent disciple This doesn't mean that they repudiated their fishing business, their homes, families. No, what it does, it speaks of the fact that now their number one allegiance is to Jesus. He is first and foremost. He is the one who is governing our priorities. And maybe today, right now, you're sensing that Jesus is calling you to follow him. You see your sinfulness and your brokenness. I want you to know that is why Christ came, so that you'll know forgiveness and life. Maybe you sense God calling you to a greater sense of discipleship, to move beyond just sitting on the shore to actually following him in this life, engaged in his kingdom work, making disciples, giving of yourself generously, of your finances, of your skills and your experiences. Jesus is calling us to be fishers of men. He's not calling us to rules, regulations, and rituals. He's calling us into relationship with himself. And I want you to know it's Jesus who will be doing the work. He's the one who is going to be bringing about the catching of the fish. And when Jesus said, I want you to follow me, why, Jesus knew all of what was going to happen in their lives, but he only just makes this very simple statement. Jesus knew about the challenges, the difficulties that they'd face pain, persecution, struggle, exhaustion, all the times of exhilaration and ways that they'd see God at work. Jesus knew that they'd be attacked, misunderstood, misrepresented, and maligned. But all he tells them is, all you need to know is follow me. And furthermore, Jesus also knew all that they would become. Right now, they're just amazed in a boat, right? Overwhelmed by fish. But Jesus would take Simon Peter, who likely saw himself as just kind of a successful business guy, probably a tough fisherman type, right? It was Jesus who would take this man and shape him to be one of the great apostles of the church, to write New Testament letters, to be uh, one who would lead the charge in the church, to be a guy who would mentor a guy who, a young guy who knew a lot of failure. Remember a guy by the name of Mark? And Peter knew about failure, right? And Peter would mentor Mark, and guess what? Mark would write the gospel of Mark. And then, of course, there's James and John. By the way, Mark 3.17 says that Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder, right? Kind of a rowdy bunch, oftentimes loud, little rough. Sons of thunder. Jesus transformed their lives. I tell you what, like, when you look at, like, John, 
John was given charge by Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he told John, I want you to take care of my mother. And then after Mary then enters into the kingdom of heaven, I want you to know that it is John who writes the gospel of John, first, second, and third John, and the final book, the book of Revelation. Why, John had no idea. All he knew is that there's fish everywhere, and Jesus is standing there, and I'm amazed. In fact, it's said of John that at the end of his life, he just, he just kept walking around as a pastor in Ephesus, telling this people, little children, love one another. Friends, do you see this? Do you want to follow Jesus? This is how we do it. This text tells us, it moves us from just sitting on the shore to actively engage to following Jesus because following Christ is a way of life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the privilege it is to just be with you, to be with your people, and to have your word opened up. And for someone who is here today who totally knows all about their sinfulness because you have awakened their hearts to their condition, you are also drawing them to yourself. And so would they pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I'm a, I'm a simple man, simple woman. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your life. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, God, you're calling us to the deep end of the pool to follow you, to not be paralyzed by fear, but to live and to walk by faith, to be engaged in making disciples, doing, doing what you've asked us to do. I'll do as you say. So, Lord, have your way, accomplish your work for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.